Today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by Dr. Carlo Bayraktarian. Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is Dernarek, the pastor of St. Sarkis Church, along with our co-host, Mr. Veh Bizdikian. Welcome to the podcast. Let us start our show with a prayer from St. Nurses, the gracious Sub Nurses Shnohali. Yergnavor takavor. Dur inzi ku arkayitunet. Zorkez sirog nerun khostatsar. Yev zoratsur im sirdes vorbesi mehka adem. Yev miyan kez sirem. Եվ քու գամքդ կադարեմ եւ ողորմե քու արարածներուդ եւ ինձի բազմամեղիս Heavenly King grant me your kingdom which you promised to your beloved and strengthen my heart to hate sin and to love you only and to do your will Have mercy upon your creatures and upon me great sinner that I am Well, as I was listening to you reading this prayer, I just observed something that I've never observed before and I've been saying this these prayers for such a long time. The structure is very nice. Saint Nicholas is asking God to give us first his kingdom mm-hmm. and then to strengthen our hearts to hate sin and to love him. So this tells us that the kingdom is not something that we will be part of after we die. We can be part of that kingdom here. And as we belong to that kingdom, we need God's love to hate sin and to love him more and more. It's a beautiful prayer. I hope our listeners find inspiration. a blue shoots up through the stony ground there's no room no space to win in this town you're out of luck and the reason that you had to care the traffic is stuck and you're not moving anywhere you thought you found a friend Take you out of this place Someone you can lend a hand In return for grace It's a beautiful Uh, it was good. It was good. I, I take a little bit of exception to the way it was characterized. Let's so. discuss that. <laughs> <laughs> On Let's the last podcast when I, was away, when I was away and, and Michael did an outstanding job uh, filling in as co-host, uh, you had mentioned that I was away and that I was on a trip. And it made it came across as though you know, but do we do cannot stand? Garzem, were you on a vacation? Uh, yeah, vacancia, <laughs> love. So it was nice to to have my um, opportunity to go overseas on a professional basis um, to get uh, you know some good experience overseas, but it was not a vacation. Just to, it was to clarify, a bit of clarification. It was strictly for business. I was in Sarajevo in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Um, 
very enlightening experience, but uh, I wouldn't characterize it as a vacation. Welcome back. I didn't, wa I didn't want to disclose anything. I no, knew I know, you, I know. But it was not I my know. place to I know. To you tend that. to be very guarded, and I appreciate that. You'd rather But I also said that more. Ve asked for a raise, and we didn't give him a right, raise. Right. You did say that, too. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody came up to me. I forget who it was. Somebody at church said, uh, wow, you're really uh, thinking a lot of yourself these days. You're looking for more money for... For the, I was like, I, I guess course, you should yeah. say this is a huge fundraiser <laughs> for our church. I said, I want double. Give me two times zero and I'll be very satisfied. In front of your check, right? That's right. Okay. That's right. Yeah. It's good to have you with us, Ver. Thank you. Let's yeah. speak about this past Sunday. It was a great weekend here at, at our church with the celebration of our name day and the ordinations right. that we had. I think everyone had a great time. Did you attend the services? I did. I did. And I I, uh, I was very impressed. And it was a very moving, more moving than I would have exper expected. Um, I, I guess I haven't seen Sir Pazan Oshagan giving uh, the Divine Liturgy um, in some time. So that That's right. It because was last very year, impressionable. Last year, we could not celebrate the Feast of St. Sarkis because of the snow. We had a snowstorm right. on St. Sarkis name day. And it was it was canceled, so it's been over a year that Oshagan Serbazan has not celebrated the mass here with us, and then the ordinations were really done beautifully. The children who received um, the rank to be acolytes, and then the subdeacons who were ordained. I think just listening to people who were looking at the altar and seeing all the youth, and then the subdeacons serving on the altar. It was an inspiration for everyone. And you know, I, I would have to say that I feel like Surpazan was inspired as well. His words came across as though he was very inspired and moved by the experience. Having done this many times, I mean, sure. God knows how many people he has ordained. I mean, That's probably right. in the hundreds. That's right. And to have this experience at the church, I thought it was an honor for us, number one. And I was uh, clearly uh, impressed with the words that he shared afterwards and, and, and the steps that our good friends and members of the clergy now, mm -hmm. um, especially my friend Razmig and Rafi and Shant, just seeing them participate in all of this and, and getting the, uh, the, the blessing, the blessing that comes from the service along with the words uh, from Surpazan Oshagan was, uh, was truly a remarkable experience. Great. So next year, you will be part of that. No comment. No comment. I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, was accused, I was accused here on Sunday oh. by our friend Razmik that um, I do not ask people. I just tell people. So might as well. <laughs> if I'm accused of that, let me, let me just continue that well, tradition. Well, typically then. when we're accused, we tend to try to make the adjustment so that the accusation doesn't ring true. Okay. I don't know if you should continue to perpetuate that accusation or to per perpetuate <laughs> that trend. So I would encourage you to perhaps encourage others or okay. to, to request. I hear that, that you want some uh, cohorts with you, and I will work no. on that. <laughs> <laughs> we will talk to be continued. We should. To be continued. And then we came downstairs for the celebration, the banquet here, which was very nice. Um, the newly ordained subdeacon, they had speeches prepared, and that was very nice uh, to hear from them, to, to hear what it felt for them to go through this and what, what's the meaning of church in their life. 
And we also celebrated um, Deacon Frank Kabarajan's 50 years service of, uh, for the Armenian Church. So it was so good to see people starting their journey and people who have served for 50 years. And mm -hmm. that, that's a beautiful thing. It shows that, you know, new generation is coming and there is uh, the continuation, which is always inspiring. Well, if there's one thing that the Armenian Church is rich in, it's tradition. And the tradition continues, and we proved yet once again that the the uh, the gauntlet has been passed. You have people who have been doing it for many years, whether they're clergy, whether they're deacons, subdeacons, and now you have new blood, new life, and you hope, as I said to to, and I copied you on the text as well. I, I sent a text out to Rafi and to uh, to both Rosmig and to Shant, saying congratulations on this very significant step that you've taken in your Christian life. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a contribution to the Armenian Church, but it's a personal commitment that you make as a Christian, sure. and it should be taken very seriously, sure. and I'm I sure mean, it has. Just to mention, one thing that they are allowed to do in our church is to read the Word of God to the congregation, and that's a huge responsibility to deliver God's Word, which is living and uh, active, to the congregation and praying that it will inspire them and change change their lives it's a great deal so we we wish our newly ordained brothers a life full with inspiration so that they also can inspire others to come closer to church and to come closer to know god This Saturday, St. Sarkis Church is hosting a Valentine's party, but this, the party this year is different because we have a comedy night. We call it Laugh and Dance. And we have with us here on the podcast today, Michael Parenti, who will be performing for us, along with his friend and our friend, Dr. Alex Manesian. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having us. Michael, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself. Introduce yourself to, to the audience. Everyone I is know you, anxious. Al, Alex is performing with me? I didn't know that. <laughs> is he? No, I, I didn't really know. That's the one oh, that I got to see. What does Alex do? I got to see that. Is the opening act? You can, what are you going to do? You can't afford me, Michael. You can't afford me. I'm not, my, I'm, my, I'm my not paying anybody. Is, They're paying yeah. me. Well, then I'm not doing it. Are you it. doing comedy? I'm not, I'm not doing it. What are you doing? Only for a fee. I need to know you what's happening during the show. You gotta go through my agent. My agent's uh, in Hollywood. Dude, I have an Hollywood. opening act actually coming. I've been MC. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm right. sorry. I'll get back on track. Please what, do. What would you like to know? 
You want to know how I started comedy? You want to know what? And, uh, <laughs> keep it simple. Have ADD. Very complicated. Like one Tell us about yourself. Uh, you want to know about my comedy? Personally, I'm married. I have three children, three boys. Okay. Uh, we live in Jupiter, Florida now. I lived in New York, and I grew up in Howard Beach, Queens. Howard Beach. And I lived in Syosset for about 20 years. Then what happened? Uh, I couldn't afford it anymore. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I love the hot weather. I like to play golf. I play softball. Okay. And I took the leap of faith once my second child went into middle school and said, let's give it a try. We're going to go to Florida and give it a whirl. We always talked about going to Florida. We always thought we could, though we'd like it. And so we are there now. We miss people in New York a lot. People in New York are really original, interesting, funny, sarcastic people. So we miss New Yorkers, but we don't miss New York. Okay. That's a common sentiment, I think. Yeah, I mean... Uh, my, I'm living with my son in Howard Beach now, and at night, I, there's nowhere to park. I almost slept in a hotel the other night because I couldn't park my car to walk to his place. <laughs> it's 12 at night. I was driving around for 20 minutes. That doesn't happen in Florida. If you don't get a spot in front, you're mad. You know, oh, i got to walk three, three cars over. Yeah. So, you know, New York gets on your nerves. Mm -hmm. It's cold here, and it's raining, and I'm sick the minute I get here. How long have you been in Florida, you said? A year and a half. Wow. So what is it that's disappointing about, you said it's a different in Florida in terms slow. of the people. It's, it's just slow. The, the slow. And there's pace. no New Yorkers there. Yeah. You know, New Yorkers, like, get you in a second. Yeah. You know, Florida people are a lot of transient people from a lot of different places. And even the fast food, there's no fast food in Florida, which I'll talk about. It's all slow. Everything takes forever, and they get the order wrong all the time. They just kind of don't really get New Yorkers. It's a little slow. Yeah. So we love Florida, but we miss our New Yorkers. That's why you get here. a lot of New Yorkers down there. There are quite a few, especially, I mean, there is, down there's, Fort Lauderdale there's a lot. There's a there ton is, of New There Yorkers. is some, but yeah. some of them are retirees, so they're, yeah, they're, they're slowing down already so yeah. that you don't have Alex down in Florida. There's nobody like Alex in Florida. You know what I mean? He's like a high-energy, bouncing-off-the-wall mm -hmm. type guy. He is. <laughs> so um, so I, I love Florida, but I'm I love coming back Michael. to New York. And the comedy in New York is way better than the comedy in Florida. Okay. The crowds just totally get it. I mean, sometimes before I enter a concept, I'll actually say, so I've been performing in Florida, and I just hesitate, and people kind of know, they, they understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen in Florida. You have to explain it more. People yeah. in New York are quick. How long yeah. have you been a comedian? Well, I'm really a financial advisor. Oh, okay. I do comedy as a, as a hobby and a labor of love for about 10 years. 10 years. Did that start right after the crash of the market? Really <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good question. Yeah, it's a good, good timing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was thinking about it on the way here. Do you, you want to know my comedy story? It's actually a pretty interesting story. So when I was a little kid, I used to watch the Dean Martin roast on TV. Do you remember those Dean those Martin roasts? They yeah. were great. Yeah, they were great. Now, really what was happening, these guys were drinking, smoking cigarettes, and just making fun of each other for like right. two hours. And I used to watch everyone... My mom used to come in and say, what are you laughing at? You know, you don't understand these jokes. And I used to explain the joke to her. So I always liked stand-up comedy, always. On a date, new date, my wife, I always said, let's go to a comedy club, let's go to a comedy club. I never really wanted to do comedy, but I always I like comedy. So I was at Governor's one day. I was about 35 years old, and Governor's had a little, they still have to this day on the, on the desks, if you want to be a stand-up comic, come take our comedy class. Hmm. So I said, I'm going to do this one day. So I put it in my briefcase. It was in my briefcase for five years because I kept cleaning my briefcase and keep getting. I said, oh, one day I'm going to do it. And then when I finally hit 40, I said, I, I got to take this comedy class. So I took the comedy class at Governor's, and I've been hooked ever since. Wow. And a lot of people start comedy on Long Island from that class. Interesting. We are yeah. advertising the event as squeaky clean. 
What is that? Well, I started doing comedy at Samantha's Little Bit of Heaven in Northport. And she demands that the comics there are squeaky clean comics. So that's not my name. She came up with the name Squeaky Clean Comedy Night, which she has once a month. And she features Christian comics or squeaky clean comics. She wants it. She wants a five-year-old to be able to go in the room and listen to the jokes. She's very offended by, you know, comedy that's not clean. So I don't do any sexual references. I don't do any drug references. I don't make fun of people's weight. Um, Thank I, you. Know, I try to keep it. <laughs> now, I, I Alex will, is very I, sensitive. I to gained it. a little winter weight <laughs> lately. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> The guy's in perfect shape. <laughs> yeah. Look at him. He's got abs busting over the table. I don't know what he's talking about. He's like, thanks. Uh, but that's a good question because really to be funny, you have to toe the line, though. Mm -hmm. You have to almost sometimes make people think you're actually going there, but you never go there. So part of it is people thinking you might actually go there once in a while. So you'll see Saturday, I, I toe the line. And at Samantha's, they have pretzels. And if they think you went over the line, they shake the pretzels at you. So the so the crowd tells you, hey, we think that was maybe not appropriate. Oh, but wow! I, but I never curse. There's no videos of me. I cursed maybe once on stage, and I deleted that out. That was by accident. It just slipped out. I mean, it just slipped out. Yeah, my so, my kids saw him perform. You know, a few months ago. The kids were there. Your kids were there. And my kids were on the floor. They were they were cracking up. Squeaky squeak uh, clean means clean. It's unbelievably funny. It means mm -hmm. that anyone. Your grandmother or a little kid should be able to listen to it. And they might not understand all the jokes, but they shouldn't hear anything that they shouldn't hear. So you carved out a nice niche for yourself. How many other venues have you established? Are they, is this a national thing? Is it just no. New York, Florida? Like what, no. Where, where they, typically does this happen? That's a good question. I, I wouldn't say I have a niche, but very few comics on Long Island do clean comedy. Right. So I think by default, uh, I've become somewhat known in the community of Christians to do comedy because there's probably less than 10 of us. So Samantha, that place where I do comedy, she, all the guys are there who do clean comedy. And there's just not that many of us. Mm -hmm. So when I went to Florida, I started my whole webpage, comedyforchrist.com. And oh, I pretty right. much advertised myself as a Christian comic to do comedy in churches mostly. I do other events, but my preference is to just do Christian comedy. And across the country? That would be ideal. I'd like yeah. to be Sebastian on the Christian side. Yeah. Ideally, I'd like to just do churches across the country and bring laughter. And, and I would just do it for a tithe offering. I wouldn't even charge anything. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think it's a, an amazing thing to make people laugh. That's very noble of you. But also, I'm starting to work in some comedy material that closes with my testimony. Uh, Alex saw my testimony at Samantha's. And I, didn't really, I didn't really mix it in with the comedy but I'm trying to learn how to give my testimony during my comedy. Mm -hmm. So that's just a beginning work in progress right now, where you could actually hear bits of my testimony as I'm doing my comedy. Well, I think comedy uh, is, is a great way in every venue of life to introduce somebody to a new subject or to make them feel comfortable about something. And it's you know just making them feel at ease with the environments. And that's what you do. You do comedy really well. is universal. Yeah. I mean, if you're on an interview, I've been on a lot of interviews. If you put people at ease and do a little, you know, any people at ease, they're going to like you. Uh, yes, comedy is universal. Well, what better way to bring in people to say, hey, we're, we're regular people here. Right. You know, we're not, uh, you know, we're not killing cows here and, you know, worshiping anything crazy here. We're regular people. We like to laugh. We just like to keep it clean. And mm -hmm. we do have some certain moral standards that we live by because of what the Bible says. It's a really nice, easy transition. Have you always been a very natural storyteller? Is this something no. you found was no. like a natural gift, talent, came easy to you? 
it's become it's coming easier but it's always like this nerve-wracking challenge every time i get on stage i, I seriously think what am i doing here how did i get here mm-hmm. i mean i'm gonna do an hour here saturday like how in the world am I going to be up there for an hour? I'm the entertainment. It's really a little no, over. An hour and ten minutes, please. No, <laughs> my open is doing. You're doing ten. You're doing ten. I'll do the rest of the hour. No, but it's a lot of responsibility. And no, so I haven't always been a good storyteller. But as I've been doing comedy more and more, I'm learning how to tell my stories in a way that I enjoy telling the story. Mm-hmm. I'm not so much worried about you laughing anymore. In the beginning, I wanted you to laugh. I wanted you to laugh. Mm-hmm. Now, I just want to tell the story like I want to tell the story, and I know the laughs will be there. Mm-hmm. So that's hard to learn in the beginning, though, because you're so nerve-wracked looking at the audience, and you want them to like you and laugh, so you really, it takes away from your storytelling a little yeah, bit. Absolutely. So if you're storytelling with a couple of friends, you might start talk. You might just go off on a tangent, and if they like something, you might just start making stuff up and go off on a tangent, because they're kind of with you mm-hmm. on the story. Mm-hmm. You don't do that in the beginning of comedy. You're afraid to go there. Now, if they start liking something Saturday, I'm just going to go. I might just Keep go going. down a road that I never went before. But that's when it gets really good. But I need the audience to like me and to come along for the ride. So that takes years. Absolutely. That takes years because you've you got to be really comfortable in your skin yeah. to start doing that. Yeah. So no one is good in the beginning. Yeah. No one is. Who, who are some of your mentors in comedy? You, uh, On Long Island? Look- or uh, just, I think Sebastian and, and, and Maniscalco and is, is yeah. just the best storyteller on the planet. <laughs> he's, I mean, I, you know, when I watch him, yeah. I just could watch that guy for hours. He's just so, you just like him. You just yeah. like everything he says. Uh, and he's, I wanna, he's one of my favorites. I mean, we just saw him. Best. We just saw him at the Paramount Theater in Huntington, my wife and I, and we're, you know, we're big fans. We've seen his, all his Netflix. And he's uh, clean. He's clean. He's he could, fairly he clean. He could do a church because he would just drop out a few things and he's clean. Because it's all about his storytelling. Yeah. And you're Italian, we're Armenian, it's, it's very the same similar culture. culture. It's all, yeah, it's all and people, it's, it's family. It's like my Big Fat wedding yeah. stories where a lot of these family type stories uh, are recanted in, in a, a very humorous way. You know, you mm-hmm. can just sit there and uh, recount, you know, recount your, your days as a, as a child uh, growing up in an Italian or Armenian family. It's, he's relate- it's very he similar. relates to you. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the key is that he's relatable. You're probably relatable in a sense that this is a very ethnic setting. So if if, if you were to come in here and start telling us stories about growing up in a white (laughs) Anglo-Saxon family, we may not relate as much. We may find the humor in it, but I think you're going to find that commonality and that connection with the crowd. Well, the connection here is that the Christian crowd, the Christian Christian crowds are the best crowds for a couple of reasons. I've been given a lot of thought because sometimes when I do non-Christian, it just never seems to be as good. Mm. I mean, I get my laughs, and it's okay. It just never seems to be as powerful. But Christian people want to love you. Mm. And they, they give you grace when you're on stage, and they give you patience. And I also think they go to church every Sunday, so they're actually used to listening to someone. They're used to sitting quietly for an hour and listening to something. A lot of people today aren't. Right. So the Christian crowds are more geared to listening which is great for a comic, so you can tell your story and you know that people are engaging with you. Interesting. They are the best audiences. Mm, that's a great observation. You want to tell us some of um, your stories performing um, throughout the years? What has been something that you've found to be interesting for you, encouraging for you, a moment that you want to share with, with our listeners? Well, I've had some clunkers, I'll tell you that. <laughs> We've all had. I mean, uh, you know, it is brutal when, when you're not connecting with people. I mean, brutal. Like, you, you almost have a panic attack mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you know that you have to be up, and all of a sudden you start doing your jokes really fast, 
and you you like out of jokes and out of time. So I can't right now think of any particular one instance, but I, I do know there's been many instances where I've had like mini panic attacks on stage because I'm not really connecting with people. And what do you do when that happens? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, we're going to have some Valium for you ready. That's a good in question. <laughs> I'm on call for you, Mike. That's a good question. Call. Now, I've, I was at the Paramount Theater once, and I saw a comedian could perform who's pretty famous here. I'm not going to mention his name. I don't want to embarrass him. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was bombing bad, and people in the audience were yelling, get off the stage, you stink, get off the stage. This is at the Paramount Theater. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's a big venue, too. So what do you do? No, not Andrew Dice Clay. Andrew Dice Clay? No. Okay. No. Nobody. You, you wouldn't know, but he's pretty famous it. out here on Long Island. He does a lot of stuff on Long Island. But what do you do is, I've learned this from doing comedy. This works. It'll work all the time, but it's hard to do. You have to stop doing your act, and you have to re-engage the audience. If it means, but you have to do it naturally, like it's almost part of the act. So you have to break away from your material and say, so how long have you been coming to the church? You have to totally break away because they're not engaging you. You have to go back into the audience and re-engage them and try to bring them in again. And then you could go ahead and start working your material again. Mm-hmm. Really hard to do. Mm-hmm. But that night that I saw this guy at the Paramount did, he didn't do that. He just kept pounding through his material. And the further he went, the further they, they went. Right. You, have mm-hmm. to, you have to kind of realize there's an elephant in the room, but you can't say it. So you have to try something totally different. And you have to maybe slow down, re-engage. You could even say, "Hey, I've had better nights." That's a, you know, that'll 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 get the audience to like you. You have to you have to recognize what's happening. You, you got to be. It's hard. You, you want to just plow through real, sometimes. You got to be real with yourself, and I mean that probably goes true with any kind of public public uh, speaking. speaking. I was going to ask yeah. Father Nuttig, have you had <laughs> you <know>? those instances <laughs> you where stop, you're at the pulpit and, and you're true. wondering, Absolutely. do I need to stop and start over on this uh, sermon? Nobody's listening. I hear what you're saying. You know. Uh, I don't have a script when I del- deliver my sermon, you know, and there are times when I know people are not there, you know, you, you can tell. And what I've discovered to be helpful for me is to stop and tell a quick story, tell a quick joke or something, you know, and then once you have people on your side, continue with the sermon. It always works. So I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> you have to re-engage. You have to, yeah. you have to re-engage. It's hard, but when I'm doing well on stage, there is no better high. It is just unbelievable. When people are connecting with you and following your stories, it is just amazing. And that's why I do it. Obviously, that's why I do it. You know what I've always wanted to ask a comedian is, has comedy transcended your personal and professional life in a way that you didn't, like, foresee, like, the confidence it's given you to just stand up and talk to people or... Uh, you know, go engage in, uh, with somebody that you may not want to engage with otherwise. You know, if you no, that's not, a that's a great not... that's a great question. Um, the first thing I thought of was, I'm, I, I mean, I'm a, I grew up very competitive in sports. I was not the best, but I was pretty good at almost everything. So I, I have confidence to approach anyone. That not an issue. But the comedy has made me look at life differently. Like if I'm driving and somebody cuts me off, I'm thinking, how can I tell the story on stage? I'm not thinking I'm gonna get this guy and cut him back off. It, right. You don't get mad as much. You really do have a lot more patience because mm-hmm. you're thinking, what's funny, funny in this situation this. now? I know it sounds cliche, but you, you do that naturally now. I just do it naturally. Everything to me is what's funny here right. in almost any situation. Sometimes if even there's a sad event, it could be a funeral or something, sometimes people need a little relief. Mm-hmm. And I might not think of it at the moment, but you know, there's always something funny about people are hilarious. People do crazy things. Yeah. People are, you know, are strange. 
And, you know, it's, I recognize that immediately now. And it's a story on stage. So do you categorize the, the style of comedy that you do as, like, observational humor? Is it, is it in that vein? Or do you, I, do you I, not necessarily put a label on I hate on to it? mention these two guys because they're so good. But, like, Seinfeld, Seinfeld and yeah. uh, Roma, Roy Romano, they just yeah. tell stories. Like, mm -hmm. they don't – Ray Romano doesn't tell jokes. He's just telling stories about his wife and his kids. And, and that's what I do. But I give you my view on the story. Right. So people say, Mike, tell me a joke. I don't do any jokes. I don't do any jokes at all. But when I write my comedy, I know what's a twist on it. And it's kind of right. a twist, but it's right. not a joke. Right. I don't tell right. any right. moment. So I'm an observational storytelling comic. And that's more relatable. I think so. Yeah, because yeah. we know, I think we know a lot of people. I know a lot of people that can tell a joke. Right. I, I can't tell a joke. I mean, <laughs> if I'm in the middle, if I'm in like, you know, uh, on a campground, then they're not going to look at me for a joke telling, but I'll be funny, I think, just well, like you are not as no, funny no, as but you. you'll be, no, but you'll be, but, yeah, you will be. Don't get me wrong, I'm not as funny as you. No, I'll be up there. I think everybody's funny. You are. You're leading <laughs> in. You're the leading act. Uh, I'm the leading act. Yeah, <laughs> I'm funny looking, but that's a different story. Uh, so um, I can relate to that because I I can't tell a joke myself, but I can hopefully on occasion be funny situationally yeah yeah and if we're at the dinner i don't tell jokes i might be funny that night or not but i'm just observing the waiter or something i'm mm -hmm. just observing what's right. funny about tonight yeah. and sometimes people are crying because i'm it's true sometimes i just sit back and enjoy it i i don't feel like uh, people who know me don't think i'm funny like if you met me you wouldn't know i do people go oh, i don't know you do comedy I yeah know i you met you funny. before yeah. i knew you were a good comedian that's probably true of all comedians. Though. I, think I mean, there's true. not many that just go through life telling jokes, right? Right. You constantly don't know. giving people a hard time because they're kind of like more thoughtful. They're kind of thinking, "What's yeah, yeah?" It's more about you're observing, you're yeah. taking it in, yeah. and then maybe you're able to you project that on stage. Right. Yeah. But do you feel ever pressured in social settings? Let's say you're with friends having dinner, and the expectation is for you to be funny. Do you no. find that? No. No. That would be I mean, unfair. I, I just, I just, for uh, the little I know, Alex, if we went out to dinner, he would, he would be the funny one. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah, because I don't feel, I don't, I don't do, I don't try to be funny. Okay. I don't see, work. I'm very insecure of myself, so no, I try no, but, no, but, to overcompensate no, but see, with you know, my humor. He's like a little more personable in me. There's a lot of self-deprecating He's like a little more personable. Like, he's so happy and personable. Like, I don't feel that at all when I go out to dinner. No, people don't, who know me. If you went out with me and five of my friends, I'm the quietest one out of all five. I grew mm. up in Howard Beach in a family of five, and my friends are all Italians named Tony, and you cannot get a word in edgewise with these guys. All they do is make fun of each other, and, you know, they are loud, and I'm just one of the guys. But that's great content for you because <laughs> you watch the five yeah. Tonys yeah. doing their thing, and then you can do some kind of a Yeah, and I bet you Sebastian Maniscalco is not the loudest guy of his group. Right. He's just the best storyteller. Right. And he's got the guts to get up there and tell the stories. Absolutely. Even he's done clubs and he's bombed a million times. You know, he'll tell you that I'm sure. Yeah. So it's not just no. I don't feel like I need to entertain people, and I don't. I don't a lot. I do. That must be exa you know exhausting. Yeah. If they have to do that. Right. Too. No, no. That I, the pressure is <coughs> on the stage. Yeah. Right. Right. At the dinner, the pressure. There is no pressure. No pressure. I don't have to be funny. Okay. So I, we'll have dinner after you perform on Saturday. No. Yes. No. Okay. So the pressure will be off, and then you will relax with us. Well, That's what people like to say. Uh, well, I think How does it, what is the schedule? Yeah, what is the schedule? Is there a schedule? I, I don't I know. Think you we tell to, me. Is dinner to, first, uh, or the, the I, show is uh, I would encourage that we feed the Armenian people. You make them uh, angry before, uh, the, before the comedy act. <laughs> yeah, don't make them, <laughs> make them happy with food first so they right. can enjoy Michael's comedy. 
Comedy is almost always the last thing to do. Right. You don't want to have comedy with this food behind and, and you. And Armenians get very hungry. angry without being Yeah, like Italians so, too. Yeah. You got to feed them meatballs while I'm performing. <laughs> It'll be good. I'll just throw the meatballs while I'm performing. No, we don't want that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> They're called bureggs. <laughs> bureggs? Bureggs, yeah. I can't, why can't you spell anything in Armenian? I don't understand. Bureggs. What is that? It's like eggs with a B oh, in front. Uh, bureggs. Bureggs, yeah. Bureggs. They could be it's like, like meat so have, you cheese, ever had a cheese, cheese. have you ever done a comedy show here before? No, you're the first. So you have events every year, but you've never had a comedy. Here. No. There's, there's a lot of there's a lot of good uh, comics in Long Island that are clean no, that you could use in the future too. Be fun. You don't want to come back to us. I'll we'll come we'll see how you do. We'll see. He hasn't even performed yet. <laughs> yeah, Maybe he doesn't want to come back. Maybe he loves it. We'll see how it goes. I'm sure he's it's gonna love be it. great. I'm sure we'll have a great time. We're looking forward to seeing you. Listen, at the end of this, we may actually put an A N at the end of your name. A-N? <coughs> yeah, that that makes that makes yeah. Oh, that makes I, I, mean, I didn't know anything. Yeah. Armenian has A-N at the end of it? I-A-N. 100% of the time? So we will like Italian vowel? So I'm Parenthian? Parenthian. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. We become a Parenthian after this. Yeah. Are they going to serve, do they serve wine on Saturday night? Do they serve wine here? Yes. We do. Yes. We'll have okay. wine. Yeah, okay. we'll, have a, we'll have a bar going. How much funny if you're drinking? Can I ask, as, as, we, as we wind this down, can I ask, like, on the more serious note, how did you relate comedy to your faith? And you spoke about your testimony and the fact that it's an opportunity to, to offer your testimony as a Christian. I'm curious to know, like, how you decided that that would be the appropriate platform for you to be able to deliver your, your, your message. Well, that's still a work in progress, because I guess I'm not really doing that yet. Okay. I'm not really doing that yet, but I guess this place, this Samantha is where I perform. I mean, uh, um, it's made me think about it in a whole new way. Because I would have been out of the comedy business if it wasn't for Samantha's Little Bit of Heaven. Because mm -hmm. I quit comedy because of, I was thinking I should make, I want to make a living and I want to be famous. And God just was not blessing that. And it was a lot of work and effort and it took time away from my brokerage business. And I was thinking, I want this. Once I gave all that up and I just started doing <coughs> comedy as a, uh, you know, a labor of love, and without forget the money, God's been blessing it. And the more I do Christian comedy, the more God's been blessing me. Like this event here is this is a pretty decent event for me. Like I, you know, you guys invited me to come up from Florida to do this event. This would have never happened in a secular circle. Mm -hmm. I would have got invited to Vegas to do an event for a bunch of, you know. So God's blessing it. So I want to. I, I know He has a reason for my comedy. It's not just to make people laugh. And I do have a story to tell. And people, if people like me and they listen to me, isn't that what? We're supposed to be doing is bringing people to, to be saved. We have to save their souls. That's our goal. To, that's our goal in life. And I don't know how to do that any other way. Mm -hmm. So I, God's been pushing me in this direction for the last couple of years, harder and harder. And I want to honor Him and do what I think He has in mind for my comedy. And if He wants to bless me and pay me a lot of money for it, that's great. I'll take it. But I don't need Him to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I pray for wisdom like Solomon. And if God wants to give me anything else above that, that's great. So it's just been. It's been slowly just pushing in that direction. And coincidentally, at my la first time I ever did my testimony on stage, Alex, you saw it. Mm -hmm. I didn't volunteer to do my testimony. I never wanted to do that. But Samantha's been pushing me. She mm. goes, I think you should be doing your testimony after you. So she's had this vision for my comedy. And, it, you know, so she's been pushing me. And I feel like that's the right way to go. That's great. Michael, we're so excited to have you here with I'm us. I'm excited for Saturday. We hope that everyone's going to have fun. Everyone's going to have a great time. And this is an invitation for all our listeners who haven't purchased their tickets yet to go online, purchase your ticket, and I hope I will see you here on Saturday.
It is scripture time here on the podcast, and today's reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verses 10 through 19. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. For I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. Be by your endurance, you will gain your souls. The Gospel of the Lord. It's a very powerful reading that comes to us from almost the end of the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. And we find similar words also in the Gospel of Matthew. And we know that these words are said by our Lord Jesus Christ and they are about the destruction of the temple. Mm-hmm. Some people would like to, to say that this is about the end of times, but I think this is about the destruction of the temple because in the Gospel of Matthew, we hear Jesus saying, before this gener- generation passes, these things will come to happen. And we know that a generation is about 40 years. So figured if Jesus was saying this in the 30s, 40 years later, that would be the 70s. And we know that in the 70s, the destruction of the temple actually took place. But that's not what we want to focus on. We want to focus on what Jesus tells his disciples. He foretells them about the persecutions, the arrests, and all the difficulties that they will encounter because of their faith because of their Christian identity. And in verse 13, we hear him saying, this will give you an opportunity to testify. Mm -hmm. And this is very powerful because as Christians, we are asked to look at our lives as an opportunity to testify. For some, that opportunity is difficult, but for others, is even more difficult. For some, it means to forfeit their lives, to, to, to be arrested and to be killed. And that is unfortunately the situation of so many of our brothers and sisters in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. That has been the, the case of our forefathers um, as Armenians. We suffered a lot because of our faith. But we live in a place where apostasy seems like nothing. You know, people can easily uh, forget their faith and, you know, take their faith lightly. Mm-hmm. And we are instructed to take our faith seriously and find every opportunity to testify about who we are and how important our faith is for us. And when we continue reading, it's very, it's very um, tough when, when we hear Jesus saying you, that you might even be betrayed by your parents and your brothers and your relatives. So... And you may even be killed for it. Yeah. 
the parents, the relatives, the brothers. I think Jesus is trying to say, even if everybody else around you is doing the opposite, mm-hmm. don't copy them. Just stick to what you know best and hold the faith, keep the faith. And I think this is our real challenge to make sure that our, our faith is the core of, of our essence, of our identity. It's truly a challenge, I think, being a Christian in this day and age. Um, obviously, in places like the Middle East, it's a challenge to be a Christian and it's a direct threat to your life. From a practical standpoint here in the United States or in the Western world, it's all of the secular trappings. It's all of the pressures of the world. Um, and this is, let's face it, I mean, we talked about it before. Unfortunately, this is not God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. Even though we are invited to partake in God's kingdom, we are not living in God's kingdom. So the pressures of evil and the, the negativity around us, the hostility that exists around us, and the distractions, they make it very difficult for us to be really committed to our faith and developing our faith in a way that is pleasing to God. So my question to you, Dernarek, and this is testimony, testify to me, comes across in many ways. It could be words, it could be actions. What would be your message to people listening to the podcast, to your parish, to show that you're able to overcome those challenges and to, to, to bear witness to your faith in God? I think it's something that my message would be something that I usually say um, during my sermons especially that our faith is not something that we practice on Sundays when we are at church. It's the most important thing is what happens between Sundays. It's when you're out there living your ordinary life and how much of your faith you practice in your daily life. There are people who are being killed in the Middle East because of their faith. Nobody is killing us here because of our faith. But there are so many times that we abandon our faith because we want to commit a sin. That's and, right. And every time that we commit a sin, we are basically abandoning our faith. So looking at the example of those who are perishing because of their faith, we need to say to ourselves, what am I doing here? Is this really important for me to give up Christ and do this thing which will take me away from him? And that should give us the guidance to try to make our faith the central part of of who we are, the central of our identity. Today's hymn is called Asfazazin Yerknayin. This is a hymn dedicated to the Holy Virgin Mary. I hope you enjoyed listening to the podcast today. We will be back hopefully in two weeks. In the meantime, I'd like to thank our sponsors, our listeners, Veh and Greg for all the hard work. And I pray that the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be always in your hearts. Amen.
This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Dr. Carlo Bayraktarian. If you'd like to sponsor a future episode, please contact the church office at 718-224-2275.